Thanks. It's, uh, it's awesome to be with you guys and just love your venue. <laughs> You're going to move to Stellenbosch. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's so awesome. Just so many. Uh, you can, yeah, cut. Well, yeah, I miss the ocean. That's the only thing. Uh, jeez. But it is super cool to just see so many new faces, guys that I don't know. I'm sure many of you obviously have seen me on screen, but it's lovely to be with you. I, I must just say, the one thing I can't wait for COVID to end is just to be able to do this. I mean, you guys are so lucky or blessed to be able to meet like this. Uh, some of our venues, you know, where they're smaller or it's just so challenging. So it has just been so amazing. Just a little bit about us. Um, um, I'm sure many of you have picked up at my wife has got chronic kidney failure. She's uh, amongst a lot of other medical complications. So we've been, well, it's been a long journey. We've been married now for 20, I think it's 27 years. Can you believe it? It's like older than, longer than most of you are old. But <laughs> but uh, it's been an amazing journey. But she's really been struggling over the last while with her kidneys failing. And uh, she's on dialysis at the moment. We were hoping for a transplant or a miracle. And uh, the miracle hasn't happened. And the transplants on pause because of COVID. The doctors are really scared because of, uh, I think they've got to knock your immune system so much to give you an artificial kidney or somebody else's kidney that uh, you really are in danger of COVID. So everything's on pause, which has made it quite challenging in the sense of being able to get out. She's not here with me. She hoped to come, but uh, this morning she felt a little bit weak. And um, we meeting with the elders afterwards. I just, I, I was I ministered about oh, a few weeks ago in Gordon's Bay. And she came through with me and felt sick and ended up, I had to park under a tree. And for the whole service, she lay in the car under a tree, too weak to actually even get out the car while I ministered. So, yeah, so for that reason, she's not with me. She's, we're strong in the Lord, and uh, I wish God would just do something and fix her. But uh, he's God, and he's good. And uh, in all of that, we, yeah, we, we're actually doing well, I must say. I think you learn more in suffering than you do in the good times. Suffering sucks, but but you do become more like him in those times. So that's enough about me. Uh, let's um, or us. Let's um. I want to. I was thinking, Lord, my first time with you guys in a while, and you know, you guys are in some ways the cream of the country. You, you, I mean, you guys are many of you varsity or come through university, highly educated. Um, you know, you, you're the future leaders of industry, the future leaders of, uh, and uh, because you're leading industry does not mean you'll be a leader in the church, because often it's quite hard when you've made a success of your life to actually be a leader in the church, because the ways that the two kingdoms work are so different. So you guys will have unique challenges, actually, in the sense of how you come through into serving the Lord Jesus. And you could do something great with your life in the worldly sense of the terms, but to do something great with God something very different because God often loves what people despise and despises what people love. And so as you navigate your way through your lives into what it is that I trust, you know, that you will one day stand in front of Jesus and give an account for your life, for how you've run your Christian race. And uh, that's probably going to be like more, more radical and, and a bigger deal than any exam or any single thing that you and I will do in this life. It's for that that we wake up in the morning. It's for that that we expend ourselves, that we would one day hear him say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. And that we'll be faithful to what he asked you to do and me to do. Because God has something very unique that he wants to do through you for his son's glory. 
And uh, your goal in life, your highest priority before marriage, before career, before anything else, your highest priority should be to take a hold of that thing for which he took a hold of you. You know, all those other things are just little byproducts that get us on the journey and they keep us alive. But the most important thing for us as Christians is that we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that his kingdom would be our life priority. We are no longer our own. We were bought at a price. And so the life I once lived is gone, and I live now for God's glory. And, and that's not because I'm full-time in the church. That's because I love Jesus and I'm born again. And so to be a Christian in this world means that your life priority has totally swung. If it hasn't swung, I doubt you're even saved. I mean, if you're still living your life for you, you haven't been crucified with Him. And He said, if you haven't been crucified with me, you, you're not gonna, you don't die with me, you're not going to live with me. And so we've been one, we've been bought, and our lives are, are, are one for the king. And now our life priority is that. But the challenge for us is, you know, we all, and when you get born again, God says he's going to give you a new heart. I mean, I was an ex-drug addict, for those of you that don't know. I lived in a car for two years. I was a mess. I was demonized. I had demons crossed out of me twice. But when I, I, I was born again, and I was a good sinner, I I was a good sinner. I enjoyed sin. I enjoyed pleasure. I enjoyed doing whatever made me feel good. But when I met Jesus, when I was born again, something inside of me changed. And I didn't want to live for me anymore. I wanted to live for God. I wanted somehow for my life to give him glory. And that's a sign of a new birth. That's a sign that he's, he's come and he's put his spirit inside of you. And so your priorities start to change. And, you, you, you know, the things you wanted to do, you don't want to do so much anymore. Um, and then the challenge for us then is how do we actually run the race that we do not get disqualified on it? Because Paul the Apostle, who is uh, arguably, <laughs> I think, the greatest of all the apostles, spoke himself about being nervous or cautious that he might be somehow disqualified in the Christian race. And we'll look at that just now. In scripture, you've got the smallest screen <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> I was like wondering how the guys at the back are like able to read the words. But uh, you, know, you guys, young eyes, my old eyes are like. <laughs> so, um, so, so I want to give you a, a key that really was one of the, I would say one of the biggest keys. Um, and still is one of the biggest keys that I found helpful to make sure that I stay on course, that I don't run and, and deceive myself. Because self-deception is shockingly real. And uh, I'm very conscious, even driving here this morning, of how easy it is to be deceived. I know the scripture probably better than all of you. And I, st I heard a lecture once, let me tell you a story. I heard of a lecture once who was lecturing students. And, and uh, they asked him, he's a theology lecturer, and they asked him, he asked the, the students asked him a question, a theological question, and he said, all I know is that I don't know the answer to that. It's too complicated. It's too deep for me. And then later, he asked the student a question. And the student thought he was being clever and said, well, sir, all I know is that I don't know the answer to that. That question is too deep for me. And the lecturer said, you don't know enough to know what you do and don't know. <laughs> and I think the more I walk on this walk, the more I realize, oh, my goodness, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Lord. Without you, I am so prone to error. Without you, I can get this so wrong. I might, you know, I might have preached all over the world, and but Lord, I am so vulnerable. I'm so human. I'm so Adam sin is still in me, and I'm like, God, help me to not deceive myself, to not mess this thing up, to not get puffed up or whatever it is. 
And I think that attitude should be the attitude that we all have. And so God has designed that, yes, he will speak by his spirit if we ask him to. And if we stay humble, he's faithful to speak to us. If we get pride, he resists us so that we become humble again. It's a painful process. It's better to just stay humble. But, um, but then he's also given us people to help us. And I have to say this. Without people around me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be in the race. I would be out of the race. I would have destroyed my marriage. I probably would have destroyed myself. Without people around me helping me, I would not be where I am today. And so I want to give you a key in that. And I'm going to look at this from the scriptures and we'll dig in a little bit. Because I feel like this has got to become an ethos or a, a biblical culture that we embrace. Because if you get it in you, it's kind of like you, you're setting yourself up for a greater chance of getting the prize. And if you don't get it in you, good luck. I doubt very much that you will end your race well. So let's look at, um, I'm going to look at the scriptures in Galatians 2, verse 2. Actually, I want to just tell you a story first, just to give you a little bit of a, I'll tell you a story. I was a young man, born, born again in 1990, I think it was. <laughs> and uh, radically born again. I, it was like I saw Jesus. I, I had very powerful God moments. Uh, I felt him call me into ministry, and uh, my whole life was changed. And I was so zealous and passionate for God. I wanted God to get glory in my life. And, and then as I, you know, initially I thought I was going to stay single because Paul the Apostle was single. So, you know, I wanted to stay single because I was devoted to Jesus. I'd always loved girls, but I wanted to lay down my idols, and that was one of them. So, so, so I was going to stay pure for Jesus and just pour my life out for His glory. And then as I was walking this Christian walk for a few years, the Lord, I began to feel the Lord speak to me about getting married. And long story short, I ended up getting married. The Lord showed me who I was going to marry, and He knew what He was doing. I didn't. And uh, when we got married, I went from this guy that thought I was going to be like Paul the Apostle to like feeling like I was Satan incarnate. <laughs> it was like it was like everything that I thought I was getting right just started falling apart, and my Christian witness started unraveling in my marriage. And I was really ashamed of that. I didn't want people to know. I, I, I wasn't yet serving him in ministry. I'd been earmarked for ministry. I'd done Bible school. Uh, they were about to hand me a church in another church movement that uh, ended up eventually leaving. And uh, my marriage was bad. And out of that marriage, if your marriage goes bad, everything goes bad. Because, oh my goodness, you live with that person. So, so it's like, it was just bad. I mean, the thought of going home, it was like the thought of like somebody pulling my fingernails out with the pliers. That's what, it, that's what it felt like. It was just like I didn't want to be there. I didn't. Wa I didn't want to be with her. I. 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 I even you're gonna. You, you, the Bible says you'll know all things on that last day. So I'll just tell you my evil secrets now, so that there's no shock when you watch my video. I actually even prayed. I, I, this is a fact. I even prayed, Lord, please could you kill her because <laughs> you could take her. She'd be with you, and then I could serve you. But as long as we're together, this is not gonna happen. And I was obviously selfish and self-centered, and like like my surfing husbands are. And, um, and, and the Lord had to do a lot of work in me, as you can imagine. But I didn't know how to fix this. I mean, I tried everything. I tried fasting. I tried praying. I, I, tr I tried driving demons out of here. I tried everything when she was sleeping. Otherwise, she beat me. But, <laughs> but I couldn't get it right. And it was like I was stalemate. I was just going, uh, and it was getting, actually getting worse. Because, because then, you see, as a younger man, not feeling like you're attractive to your wife and not feeling like you're a good husband sucked. 
And, uh, and so I started finding, I wanted to feel my worth. I wanted to feel like I was worth something. And immediately, pretty girls started hitting on me. I mean, like seriously hitting on me. Like I'd never had pretty girls hit on me before like that. And, and I was like, and they were giving me such attention. You're so amazing and good looking. And, you know, we just want to be with you. And, she'd, and they would talk to me and I would, uh, they were at work. And so they would hear my sob stories about a horrible was to go home. And, and without realizing it, I was slowly being ensnared. And I'll never forget actually the one, this is the closest I came to falling in marriage. One of the girls, beautiful girl, um, was sitting and working late, and I didn't want to go home. So when my shift finished, I just carried on chatting with her, and we were chatting at the coffee shop, and I was working in a restaurant at the time, and uh, I'll never forget, she said to me, hey, some of us are going to my house after this. Why don't you, why don't you just join us? And I figured, well, it wasn't alone. A couple of other people said, let's go. And I, when we arrived at her house, there were a whole lot of people there, and literally as we walked in, every single person got up and left, and it was just the two of us alone at her house. Beautiful girl. My wife, I know when I go home, it's going to be a fight. Here, she's listening to me, understands me, gets me, makes me feel good about me. And I'll never forget sitting there talking with her and just enjoying this conversation. And the next thing I remember, she put her hand on my leg. And at that moment, I knew, Andrew, if you don't run right now, <laughs> like now, like if you don't get out of here, it's over. You're gone. This is going to go where you're not going to control it anymore. And I'll never forget, I ran out, literally ran out. I had a motorbike. It was freezing cold. It was really good. It was really cold. And I, I remember driving home to my terrible wife and my terrible marriage and arrived with a storm cloud over the house and just thinking, God, this is terrible. I don't know how to, I don't know. How to. And now the Bible speaks about confessing your sins. I know at some point I've even got to tell her what I've done now. Even though I haven't done anything that bad, it's bad enough because, and I know that, I was just like, we, we've finished. And thank the Lord, we ended up leaving that church and joining a church which taught an accountability. And I'll never forget um, the leadership one day sitting us down and, <laughs> I can tell you, just, just sitting us down and saying to us that they could see that our marriage sucked. And I did not want anyone to know how bad it was. But it was so good that they did that. And they began to speak into our marriage and into my life and into my wife's life. And without that, without those people, I wouldn't be here today. I would probably, I would not be here today. Because I, I could not find my way out of that situation. I knew the scriptures. I could not find my way out because of self-deception. So some of you are going to find yourselves in life in places that you can't find your way out of the situation you're in, the hole you find yourself in. And the things you think you know are probably not enough. And actually, that's sometimes God's plan, to teach us humility, to teach us how much we need one another, and to ultimately help us to stay on course, set us up to stay the course and to run the race. And so one of those heroes that I started with earlier, Paul the Apostle, who argued, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. I mean, if anyone understood the deep things of God, it was this guy. And uh, he, he got the revelation of the church, revelation of grace. He's just this incredible gift, an apostle in the first century, one of the founding apostles of the church. And he says something that is absolutely shocking to our generation because I know many of us think we've got a good mind and we can kind of get our heads around the scriptures and we, we know something. But the Bible says if you think you know something, you know nothing. And that's a beautiful revelation. 
when you think you know, you, when you think you know, you, you realize, oh my goodness, my lenses are so tainted, my my brokenness so real, my my culture so blinding in terms of how I read things. Lord, help me to get this right. And so in Galatians two verse two, and you can put it up for us. I don't know if we can all read it, but I could probably read it from here. Paul Paul writes about this. Uh, incredible revelation that he's got and at one point he gets challenged by some jewish christians that are saying he's actually not understood the gospel properly he hasn't understood what salvation is and so this is a big deal to get accused of not understanding the gospel is a pretty big deal and so what he does is he goes in response to a revelation and he goes to jerusalem where the other apostles were and and he sets before them the gospel that i preach among the gentiles but i did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. I want to just break down those verses and just look at some things that he's doing. Firstly, Paul goes to Jerusalem in response to revelation, in response to what he thinks he's seen. So here's the thing. Who of you have had revelation before? You know, you're reading a Bible and it just pops. Pop. Do you know that revelation, because it pops, doesn't mean that it's right? I mean, I didn't know that at first, but I've learned that. Sometimes things have popped for me. Pop basically means three or four dots join at once in my mind, and I'm like, ah, oh, get it! But the problem is there's sometimes four or five other dots that I've neglected in the revelation that I've got. And so I, I, I can string a few thoughts together, and I'm like, i got revelation. Wow, God is amazing. And often there is some truth in the revelation we get, but sometimes there's other truths that we've got to hold together in tension to properly get it right. And so Paul gets his revelation, but even the revelation, and his revelation was pretty radical because he didn't learn secondhand the gospel. He didn't have someone else telling him the gospel. He tells us that Jesus personally appeared to him. I mean, like, anyone else have that privilege? And he goes into the de desert of Arabia, and he learns the gospel firsthand from God. Go. So if anyone's got, got kudos on, on, I think I've got this right, Paul could argue it's me. I mean, I had Jesus appear to me physically and teach me. I mean, anyone else could say that? So you get that. So, and still, even in, the sp in, in light of that kind of revelation, he goes to meet with those who seem to be leaders to make sure that he's not running his race in vain. Okay, that's a pretty sobering that's a pretty sobering thought, is it not? And then he meets with leaders, and I do want to say this. You know, I think we can learn from anyone. Um, I'll never forget one of my mentors years ago, a guy I really looked up to, and we had breakfast with him and his family the one day. And sitting around the breakfast table, he asked his children. I think his, he, was a, he was working apostolically in the nations. His son was about, I think, about 11, and his daughter was about 13. You don't know a lot that's... 11 and 13. So we're sitting at the table. We guest in his house. And he looks at his children and he says to them, hey, guys, I just want to live in the light. I want to I learn. Are you guys seeing anything in me that doesn't reflect Jesus well? And I'm sitting at this guy's table. He's my pastor. And I'm like, I can't believe he's just done that. And then to top it off, his like, son, who's like 11, says, Dad, I've, I think I've seen something that doesn't reflect Jesus well. And I'm like, <laughs> and he said, Dad, sometimes when you get upset, you speak to mom in a way that doesn't reflect Jesus well. You undermine her, you cut her down. 
Okay, how's he, what's he do now? Because I'm watching this. I'm, I'm, I'm a guest at, in the house, you know. I'm thinking, what do you do? I mean, he's the pastor. Now he's not a good husband in this area of his life. And I'll never forget his humility. He just said, son's name was Mark. He said, Mark, thank you. Looked at his wife and said, babes, is it true? And she said, yeah. He said, Mark, thank you so much for having the courage to speak to me, honestly. I didn't see it. I didn't realize it. Just doing my best, but I didn't realize I didn't reflect Jesus there. And I want to thank you for speaking in love into my life. And I thought, geez, when I grow up, I want to be like this guy. Because this is so different from my generation. Who do you think you are, 11-year-old? Until, but there was a humility that I just thought, this reflects the king so beautifully. And actually, he got something that actually helped him reflect Jesus better. You see, sin in, in, in the Greek language is it's actually the word hamatia, which means literally you missed the mark. If, you, if I had a set of target up front, and I love shooting, I grew up on a farm, accuracy is everything for me. I love rifles, but if they're not accurate, I'm not interested. And, and, and so I, I shot competitively. So I'm trying to like get out of trouble now because people are like past the shooting. But uh, I've got a beautiful daughter too, so I'm really glad that I shoot well. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> but I know if you miss the mark, you can miss it by, I mean, the bullseye is often very small, very challenging to hit. If you miss the mark, it's hamatia, I've missed the mark. And the Bible says sin is hamatia, it's, it's missing the mark, and the mark is Jesus in every situation. So in other words, in every situation that I find myself in, in life, people say things to me about me, things that happen, people swerve in front of me when I drive, uh, you know, I, I get tired and grumpy, all of those moments, I have to reflect Jesus, because I've got to be perfect as he's perfect, that's what he's called me to, and thank God for grace, because without it, we'd all be dead. But even with the grace of God, grace teaches us to start to become like him. We get sanctified, as I think that one lady shared earlier. So sanctified means I'm becoming more like him. I'm more like him tomorrow than I am today. Okay? And that means you miss the mark less and less and less and less and less. You hit the target more often than not. How many of you have missed the target? Maybe someone's, who of you, let's be honest, who of you have had someone slander or gossip about you in a way that was horrible, or do something horrible to you, and your response has been instead of Jesus. And how did Jesus respond? Who, you, who get upset when your dignity or your fame or your glory gets tarnished by somebody? Well, what does Jesus do? Who, who, uh, so, so in every situation, we to reflect Jesus. Okay? Um, I've lost my train of thought now. Uh, where was I sharing about missing the mark? Why was I sharing about it? So we've got to become like him, and that is a journey. You know, when I was a young Christian, sexual purity was everything. It was really difficult being sexually pure when I was 19 or 20. I don't really have that problem anymore. I'm married. I'm, I've got a wife who's wonderful. <laughs> what are my problems now? Where do I miss the mark now? I remember swearing. Oh my goodness, breaking through from swearing was like, oh, when I broke free from that, I was like, I'm like Moses, I'm so holy. And then, and then, and it just, as it, I think the lady again shared, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And the Lord puts you into situations that test the heart of who you are. He puts you in the fire to see what comes out, which means things happen that are horrible sometimes. Like, how am I responding to my wife? How am I responding to the sickness? How am I responding to... 
people that say horrible things. They say Paul Tree catches the most wind. People say they've been hurt by the church. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. You have no idea. How do I respond? How do I respond? Is it about me? And then the tests go deeper because I can do a post on Facebook. And let's be honest, we're all being trained to like likes. Because we actually want to be like God. We want to be worshipped. We want to be respected. We want to walk into a place and people go, oh, that guy's or that girl's so amazing. I mean, let's be honest. If you came to church and no one spoke to you ever, like you just were like this invisible being drifting around. Everyone else was like, ah, and you were like, how many are you going to stick around? But if you walk into a church and everyone goes, oh, how you're amazing, and they just embrace you, and they, and they actually buy you coffee after the time in the coffee shop. How, why? Because you want to be worshipped. You want to be like God. You want all creation to say, how great thou art. How great thou art. True? <laughs> and that's sin. Because we steal glory from God. I shouldn't care what anyone thinks of me. All that matters should be that he gets glory. What am I? I'm dust. Nothing. Like the grass, the Bible says. Grass, flowers, here today, gone tomorrow. Two years after I'm dead, no one will remember me. <laughs> gone. You have a few people on the day you die on Facebook, oh, we're going to miss this guy. And then it's over. And we all move on. <laughs> we all, it's over. And then, and then it's all that there is is me and Jesus for eternity. And actually, at the end of the day, I think the things are, it's never going to be about me. It's never about my success or it's always about him. I'll never forget. I'm, I'm just telling stories now. I'm actually not getting to accountability. But I'll never forget uh, a few, about two, three years ago, some guys left our church badly and it was a painful, horrible leave, and they were quite ugly in how they left. And so I was trying to respond like Jesus. I was trying to, and I, I mean, really was. I wanted to reflect Jesus to them because they're precious to him. Even though they're hurting me and they're hurting us, God loves them. And so I'm trying to respond to them. And I never forget the one morning I'm, I'm spending time with the Lord, and the one guy really went out of his way to hurt me. I mean, he actually did a lot of damage to, to me and, and my credibility and everything. He really went after me. He wanted me to be destroyed. He even phoned over. I mean, it was really wild. Phoned overseas. He just wanted... Like he, <laughs> he really wanted me to die or, or disappear or something. So I'm processing this as an individual. And I forget the Lord speaks to me about love your enemies. <laughs> okay, Lord, uh, I'll love him. I'll forgive him. Because if I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven, he said. And then the, it got the pinnacle. The Lord took it deeper and deeper and deeper. And the one morning I remember sitting there in my quiet time and I'm enjoying the Lord's presence. And the Lord comes to me and he says, Andrew, you know that this guy is my boy, hey? I said, yes, Lord, I know he's your boy. I know you love him. He said, Andrew, I want to save him. I said, Lord, I know you want to save him. He said, Andrew, what happens if the only way I can save him is by destroying you? If the only way he'll come through this is if I take you down, which is what he wants, would you be right with that? If I destroy Josh Jenner, I'll destroy all that you've given your life to, to bring him through. Yes, I remember sitting there, and I was like, hang on a minute now. That's not fair. I'm not the one who sinned. I'm not the one who's being ugly. I'm not the one who's trying to take him down. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving him, Lord. I'm trying to reflect you in everything, Lord. That's not really fair. 
and you know the Lord is just quiet when you drop those kind of lines on him because what's fair in the kingdom of God? I mean, there's nothing fair. I got grace that I didn't deserve. Jesus, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness. And I realized at one point, okay, Lord, you're killing me deeper. I said, Lord, if you do make my name mud, if you do drag me through the mud and I'm nothing and people think actually that he was right and I was wrong, what's it to me? What is it to me? Lord, have your way. Do your thing. Be glorified. Because the more I'm walking with you, the more I'm realizing it, it can't be about me. It's got to be about you. It's got to be about your glory. People, I need to get back to accountability. Paul, Paul meets, all right, this is how it's going. So you can hear from anyone. You can hear from anyone. And, and it's good to get perspective. Just friends. Hey, do you see something in me that doesn't look like Jesus? Look for it. Seek it. <laughs> but sometimes Paul understands that sometimes people can mess you up too. Because sometimes your friends are not your friends. Because they love you too much. So if someone's horrible to you and there's a good friend, how do they respond normally when they talk to you? I can't believe that person. They offended on your behalf because they love you. True? And, and they gang up with you. Now the two of you are like this little alliance, this unholy alliance. They are so evil. I can't believe they did what they did. And so your friends are actually not helping you because they're actually building you up in the wrong way. Does that make sense? <laughs> so, so sometimes we, we actually need to go to those who seem to be leaders. Because leaders are likely, more likely, to have a more balanced, neutral perspective because they've walked with the Lord well. And so one of the things I've learned to do in this walk, like Paul did, is I would regularly meet with those who seem to be leaders and say, hey, is there anything in me that you see that doesn't look like Jesus? Like I've done that with my daughter too, and we sit around the table at times, and you know. But at the same time, I realized the most important conversations for me are sitting down with those who are leaders in the house of God and saying, what in me does not reflect him? Do you see me respond sometimes or react instead of respond? Do you see me not reflecting beautifully? Am I, am I a good husband at home? Am I a good father? You know, we had uh, Brad and Angela Varane who lead a church up in PE, and they really fun are serving in an apostolic role with me in the nation. It was so cool having them in my house for a week recently and afterwards just sitting down and saying, hey, talk, what do you see? He spoke, and then I interrupted about, you know, he said there was at that time nothing that he could see, which was great to hear for once. But, um, but then he asked me to speak into his life. And as we did that, somewhat, something broke into our conversation. We couldn't carry it on. Do you know that that was about, uh, probably about, what time was Brad here? About two months ago, three months ago. Do you know yesterday he called me up again? He said, Andrew, you still haven't spoken into my life. How am I as a father? How am I as a husband? Is there anything in me that you saw that didn't look like Jesus? Hungry, because we need help to make sure that we root it properly in Christ. Does this make sense? Seek it. If Paul the Apostle looked for it, that he like, travels to another city to get it. You'd be crazy to not try this. In fact, not to try to do it. Because this is the way of our king. This is the way of his kingdom. So the question, when last did someone speak into your life? Like, like not just a friend that's going to agree with you, but like, seek it. All right. He goes and he presents his gospel to them. And again, we've looked at that already. Uh, his whole understanding of Jesus and grace, which is a pretty big deal. 
And then he says to check if I'm running my race in vain. That's a profound thought. That you could be running your Christian race in vain. In other words, it's pointless. You're actually not even running it properly. Now, people argue, and he speaks about, you know, what does he mean, running your race in vain? Does he mean that you're just going to lose your rewards, maybe, if you get this wrong? Like, maybe your rewards will burn up? Because we know the Bible says if you don't build well on Jesus, one day he'll test the quality of what you've done, and it'll get burned up and destroyed, and you might get into heaven as one escaping through the flames. So some of us are going to get into heaven one day, and because we didn't build our lives properly on the things that God wanted, we didn't get these things right, there's a part of our lives that might get burned up. We won't get any reward for them, and we'll lose that reward, And then, but we ourselves might enter in. But I think Paul means something much worse than that here when he writes. And I'll tell you why. Because he's going to check if his gospel is the true gospel. He's teaching people that they don't have to be circumcised. He's teaching people the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul will say to the Galatians in Galatians 1, if anyone preaches a different gospel to the one I preach, now he knows that he's preaching the true gospel, let him be eternally condemned. So when Paul says, I'm worried that I might myself not be running the race properly, that I might be disqualified, that I might somehow be running in vain, he understands this is the gospel that he's talking about. If he's getting it wrong and he's preaching a false gospel, by his own words, under the Holy Spirit's unction, because it's Galatians, it's in the Bible, he should be, what, eternally condemned. Do you understand that that means It's not like you're, you, 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 <laughs> okay, so this is a big deal, right? <laughs> Running your race in vain. And the Bible warns about in the end times, what are the warnings for our generation in the Bible? Does the Bible make us, should you be a really secure Christian in our generation or should you be one of those like, because in all the warnings of the end time scriptures, what does the Bible say about us in the end times? People will be lovers of self, lovers of money. <laughs> People find teachers to tell them what their itchy ears want to hear. The warnings of false teachers, false prophets from Jesus. The, 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 we, there's warnings to our generation that many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we drive out demons in your name and heal the sick in your name? And he will say, depart me, you who are lawless. I, I don't know you. I never knew you. So there's a little bit of a sense that each of us should be going, am I kosher, Lord? In the true sense of the word. Am I, am I, am I okay with you, Lord? Am I, am I believing the gospel properly? Am I running my race the way you want me to run? Or am I running in vain? In other words, I'm coming to church. I'm paying my tithes faithfully, like Carla says. Good on that one. I'm doing all those things. But if I, haven't, if I haven't got it right, there's a real chance that I, either part of my works will be burned up or I myself might actually be running in vain. You shouldn't have started the race. You're just pointless. You're running around, but you're not getting anywhere. Does this make sense? <laughs> so the prize for me here, Paul's writing about his salvation, and he, and he writes about this in other places as well, which I won't go to now. So, so here's the thing. How do you know that you're in Christ? Because you lifted your hand in a meeting? Because you sing Kumbaya? How do you know that you're in Christ? 
how do you know that you are truly his disciple, that you are, that you are um, belonging to him, that you are dead with him, that his life is living out through you, and that you are growing in your faith. No one gets to heaven because of their good works, but, no one, but at the same time, if you're truly saved, your life will start to show itself by your works, by, the way, by your life priorities, right? So, I'm taking too long. Get perspective. Get perspective. Sit down with people and say to them, hey, my goodness, if Paul was worried that he might be running his race in vain, are there parts of me that I'm running in vain? Is there something in me that maybe isn't right? And here's areas that might either get burned up or could even be more damaging. Uh, Here's areas that I think for me we need to be asking about. In my parenting, how am I doing? In my marriage, how am I doing? In my friendships, how am I doing? It's an important conversation to have. How am I doing in my friendships? Because often, sometimes we can get hurt by friends, but very often, the, p- the problem often starts with me. In my relationship with the opposite sex, how am I doing? In my um, work and in my finances, how am I doing? And here's this one. In my personality quirks, how am I doing? Do you know, and I'm, I'm going to bring this to a land soon, but the problem with personality quirks, they're, they're often rooted in our own brokenness. I remember Len, who's one of our, he's actually in Namibia, he's one of our, po- one of our elders, and he's right now preaching in Namibia. I, th- I don't think he's back yet. When he joined us, Len had this concept that to be spiritual, you had to be serious. He comes good Afrikaans background. He was just like, you know, and that's good. <laughs> that's good. But the Lord also laughs. The Lord also sings and shouts with joy. Then Len didn't have that side. He just had this. So when Len was anywhere near you, he had this strict, stern, mean look. Like God is holy. <laughs> and I'll never forget just sitting him down with and saying, Len, Len, change your face. <laughs> just smile a little bit. When you say something, just just let the corner of your mouth go up because it's so heavy when you do it all the time because you just, you know, in your, in your, in your brokenness, you, you're actually presenting something that's not fully reflecting him. And yes, I get that there's times that he is stern and there's times that it's a terrible thing to fall into their hands. And I, I get that. But at the same time, he laughs. He rejoices over us with singing. And Len, I don't ever get that side from you because, and, and you've got to reflect him fully. Don't miss the mark hitting on the left the whole time when the target's in the middle. Does that, you get that? So each of us have got these little personality quirks, these little out of our own brokenness. I mean, one of the challenges here is, I think it's 50% of marriages now end in divorce in most of your Western countries. It's around there. That means, that means we've got baggage. Because a part of what should have been a firm foundation for us growing up is gone. Because ultimately a dad was unfaithful or a mother was unfaithful. So we didn't grow up with a sense of mom and dad balance. We grew up with a dad or a mom that loved themselves more than they loved their spouse and more than they loved God, actually. True? (laughs) And you grow up in that. What are you learning? What are you learning? And so when you come to the king, you're a little bit insecure because... Dad or mom wasn't there. Probably dad. Wasn't there. 
So now I have a brokenness inside of me that needs to get whole. And what do I do is I actually come to God and I want him to fill that gap that my dad should have been. He, I, I need a father that will never, ever, like nothing I do will separate. He's just so, you know, he's always going to be there. But that's also brokenness sometimes. Listen to the scripture and then I'll finish. In 2 Peter 3.16, 2 Peter 3.16 says this. Paul, Peter tells us, Paul, the apostle, writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters, talking about grace and these different things. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Okay, anyone who says the Bible is easy to understand is a liar. <laughs> Peter's just told us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some of the parts are hard to understand, true? If you think it's not, then... Okay, well, then he says, which ignorant, listen to this, ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Ignorant and unstable. Ignorant means I don't know better, and unstable means I'm broken. Ignorant and unstable. And what does it bring about? It distorts the lens that I see God through. So I end up with a God that's always this or always that, and I miss the mark. We need people to sometimes sit us down and help us and just say, hey, I think there's a part of this that you're missing. And our attitude should be one of humility and like, okay, help me to get this right. So, and I need to finish. I've taken too long. Let's see where I'll land. God has something for you. He made you, he created you individually, formed you in your mother's womb, knitted you together, watched you grow. And in doing it as a heavenly father, he put something that he wanted to do through your life to bring him glory. In some way, you were an instrument that he created to glorify his name. That was your point. That was the purpose that he made you for. The devil got in there and broke it and twisted it messed up the surroundings that it grew up in, that trying to distort and break the sound that you would make, to redirect you to do things that are not important, to take you out of the purposes of God. And he is very clever and very good at trying to redirect and misdirect the children of God. But now God has found you. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. I've got plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But ultimately, those plans are going to be only found in serving him properly and knowing him properly and then reflecting him properly. And we are all growing to do that. But one of the big keys he gives us is Paul goes to those who seem to be leaders and say, talk into my life. What do you see that doesn't reflect him? What in me doesn't look like him? Because I don't have time to muck about. I'm going to beat my body into shape. I'm going to run my race because I want to win the prize for which he called me. I want to one day hear him say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. Because like Paul says, I beat my body and I made it my slave. That I would hear him say that on a glorious day. And to do that, we're going to need help. We get that. We get that if he needed it, you and I need it. So can I ask you to, as a church, as an individual in the church, to embrace the culture of heaven into your own life. And say, God, I need accountability. I need to at times have leaders speak into my life. I need even friends with children, but I need people to talk to me and just say, hey, there's something in you that doesn't look like him. And then I believe if we put this in place in a, as a culture, the chances are, like Paul the Apostle, 
we'll end up winning the prize for which he's called us to. But we need people to say, that's not a good thing. That's not a, that's not a reflecting him kind of thing. And so I would ask you in closing to make that a part of your culture and to sit down with your leaders at times to time and just say, hey, you've, you've watched me in this church. You've seen me in home groups. You've watched how I've reacted with my friends and those that aren't my friends. You've watched how when people have hurt me, what I've done. What in me needs to change? Help me. Speak to me. So that I can reflect him better. And if you are checkmate right now in a marriage or in a relationship, get help. Please get help. Because a broken relationship can break everything. We're called to love one another as he's loved us. And he is able to save us completely. But he's, we've got to learn to do it his way. Does it make sense? So I need to close in prayer. And that was the worst preaching accountability I've ever done. But, but I, there was a couple of keys in there that I think hopefully will help you. Because at the end of the day, I must be honest. God has chosen to limit his glory for some reason that without you playing your part, his kingdom will not come fully to the earth. Without you reflecting him properly and growing up into him, his kingdom will never fully come to this planet. He has limited himself in love for his children. And you are his children as you learn his ways and grow up to reflect him. Let's pray together. I need closing out. Father, uh, just just hear my words quickly. Um, you know, Lord, we, we looked earlier about um, missing the mark, hamatia, aiming for a perfect bull and sometimes missing it to the left or to the right. Lord, I'm reminded of what you say in the word of God, in the scriptures, that all have sinned, all have hamartia, all have missed the mark. There is no one righteous. There's no one that's reached every single time. Every single one of us together have slipped and fallen. Every single one of us have failed. There's not one righteous. No, not even one, the prophet Isaiah would say. We've all messed up. And Lord, the consequence of missing perfection is actually the death penalty. It's Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And so all of us here, Father, deserve the death penalty. <laughs> There's none of us that's truly righteous. None of us that's properly like you in every situation. We all have taken away from your glory and loved glory for ourselves and honor for ourselves. We've lived for us and not for you. And Father, I pray right now, for every single one of us, especially those that don't know you, that today salvation would come to them. If you're here and you realize that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which pretty much should be all of us, me included, the consequences are terrible. Eternal separation from the perfect God. The problem is God so loved the world, so loved you, that he came to the earth and he died on a cross. He lived the perfect life. And he died on the cross, crucified in our place. So that he said, whoever believes in him and what he's done for us would receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. Because we've all failed and none of us is righteous, God couldn't, didn't want to spend eternity without us. And so he paid the price that we could not pay. I heard a story of a judge 
And I'm just stick with me and keep your eyes closed. But I heard a story of a judge in America who was judging the one day in a court of law. And his daughter was brought in. She'd been caught driving without a license. And now he's a judge and he loves his daughter. But the problem is she has broken the law and he's a good judge. Is it right that he just overlooks her sin and just says, you know, well, you're my little girl. I've, I've sent those guys to jail. I've found those guys. But because I love you, I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to. He would be an unjust judge. He'd be disqualified. And so God would be disqualified if he did not act righteously. And so what he does, and this is what the father did, he, he finds his daughter. I think it was like 2,000 US dollars or whatever it was. Then gets off of the podium, walks around, opens his wallet, and gives her the $2,000 and says, go and pay your fine. God has paid the price for your and my sin. And he did it by dying on a cross, crucified in our place, paying the price, the death penalty, so that whoever believes in him would not perish receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. And God wants to rescue us from our sin, rescue us from our world, and bring us into his family, where he will give us a hope and give us a future. There is no way to be saved but through him. And if you're here today and you've never accepted and embraced that, and you've never had him come and live in your life, today is the day of salvation, because God wants to break through your sin. He wants to break into your world. And come and be your God. And he wants to walk with you. And he wants to love you. And he wants to teach you to love him. And to serve him with all that you are. Because you were made for him. He created you for his glory. And if you're here today and you've never done that and you want to, just with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you respond to the Lord and just lift your hand? Say, Lord, it's me. I want to respond to salvation. I want my sins forgiven me. I want to know God. And I want to be made right with him. Is there anyone here today? see just lift your hand up high so i can see who you are please thank you sir anyone else anyone else today is the day of salvation all right anyone else i need one last call so that man that put up his hand you at the back will you get him i'm gonna we'll, they'll pray with you now um i'm gonna pray with you quickly just stay where you are and then they'll just help you lord i want to thank you for that person that man I want to thank you that right now, the Bible says, you, the God of the universe, who made everything we see, has got off of his throne, the Bible says, and is dancing and leaping and rejoicing. For today, a lost son, a lost child has come home. Today, salvation has come. And I pray you would make all things new in his life as he comes to know you, to seek you, and to love you with everything inside. I pray as they pray for him just now, Lord, that he'll be introduced to the living God and that everything will make difference. One of the guys will catch you now afterwards and just pray with you some more. But for us, Paul went to those who seemed to be leaders and he got perspective to make sure he wasn't running his race in vain. Would you embrace this culture? Would you embrace the ways of the king and yourself choose this? You see, what I'm giving you this morning isn't something that's going to change you in a prayer. It's something that you need to put into your life as kind of a something that you make a part of who you are. And so I want to pray if you are saying, Lord, I want to embrace this culture. I want to embrace the way of the king and the kingdom. I want to submit myself one to another out of reverence for Christ. And I want to hear on that last day, well done, 
my good and my faithful servant. I know there's some of you here today that are stuck in brokenness, stuck in ignorance, and those things are things that are destructive if they don't get healing. God wants to heal. He wants to break in, but we need to open the door and let him come in. And one of the ways that we do that is by embracing the ways of our Father. And so if you're there today and you're just saying, God, I want this. I want to embrace this culture. You need to break into my life. Maybe, uh, Maybe there's a part of me that I realize even hearing Andrew speak is stuck in sin and brokenness. Set me free from this, Jesus. I want to be like you. And maybe you realize you've missed the mark in an area and maybe in a relationship or a response. And you're saying, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be right with you today. But if you're in one of those categories and you're just saying, I want to embrace this as a, as a, as a child of God, I want to pray with you. So I want to ask you to stand with me if that is you. And then I want to pray for those that are standing. So would you stand if you're saying one of those categories? I want to embrace this culture. I'm stuck in an area that I need to get free from or... Um, what are the others? Come on, stand up if that's one of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you've given us a spirit, and he is faithful. But at the same time, you've given us brothers and sisters. You've given us parents in the house, spiritual moms and dads, older brothers that can help us the sisters that can help us to mature in our faith, that we would reflect you. Father, would you, in the heart of this community, establish a culture of accountability, a culture where people are seeking that they would reflect you in every way, and where out of love for Christ and out of your genuine humility are asking that, Lord, that brothers and sisters could speak into their lives to help them grow to be more like you. Father, I pray for those that are trapped in an area of sin or brokenness, Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, would begin a process of healing and restoration, that they would not build their lives upon the wrong foundation or upon a brokenness, but that they would build their life properly on Jesus Christ, that they would not miss the mark, that they would increasingly find that they are being recalibrated into your image and into your likeness, and that they would grow to become more perfect, even as you yourself are perfect that they would reflect you in everything that they do and in everything that they are. Establish this culture, Lord. And I pray that each one would grow up and mature to reflect you better and better and better and better and to give you glory. Teach them that it's not about them, but that it's you, Lord. It's for your fame and it's for your glory. For you alone are God and there is no other. You alone are worthy of worship, honor, power, and praise. And Lord, you are faithful to finish the work that you've started in us. I pray we would continue to yield to you, to follow you, and so become like you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to ask that, um, you know, with with some of these areas, you know, there's there's the culture of accountability that we we determine today. We're gonna we're gonna open up our lives and um, live in the light. But then there is um, there are, there are those areas that that Andrew's um, spoken of, like certain like significant areas in our lives that we strike dead ends, like a marriage, like maybe a struggle with raising children or these type of things that is starting to harm you significantly and and 
like Andrew said, it's so easy to go like, look, it just it, it will go better around the corner, it go better around the corner. We we don't want to bring this in the light. We just try and figure it out. But actually, in reflection, it's just going worse, you know. And and I know, you know, I know it's difficult to 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 come out. I I, I know it's difficult. I must say, come out now to bring this in the in the light. It sounds like a naughty kid, but it. <coughs> I, I know, I know. But uh, I want to ask that if. If you've determined in your heart to do that, realize realize that it's a, a problem. And then, especially sin issues as well, you know, that you're stuck in. A sin that's this, this crept into your life, you know, you know you need to come out of it, you know. That you would, um, that you guys would make that determination to come out as quick as possible. Send that WhatsApp, just get your foot out there and just l- get it out. Otherwise, it goes to Monday, Tuesday, and then all the excuses to just justify it. Just, you know, it just goes under the the, the carpet again. So I want to ask, if, if you know you need to come and bring things in the light and just be accountable, make that make that first step today. Um, otherwise, it becomes almost harder and harder. All right. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much again. Um, thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much.